Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. All right, part two of this week. Chelsea fans, we're back. We've got, I know I said Mike last time, but he's really on this one. And Nick and Dan as well. So, uh, Mike, thank you for fiercely texting us during the last podcast's distraction, telling us how much you love Granite Xhaka. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what everybody else experiences is listening to that conversation and not really getting to take part. Um, so it's definitely tough. Uh, had a few disagreements with some of the managerial takes, but, you know, we'll get to hash that out. Well, I, I just love when you made the comment saying we should fire Sorry and go hire that guy from Manchester United. Truth. I mean, it's just brilliant. <sighs> brilliant yeah. takes. Top top level analysis, Mike. Good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, guys. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun when you're on mute and you can't defend yourself. All right, here we go. Well, uh, as always, part two is all about the social media questions from you all. Uh, best way to guarantee your question gets answered is become a Patreon member. Uh, obviously, um, you know, there are a lot of perks to come with that. Big one is getting your questions on this. Uh, so let's see what the audience have for us this time. Uh, Chad underscore Pierce on Instagram saying, how am I supposed to compose a comprehensive statement or question when the fire of disappointment burns so strong in my stomach? Um, 
I don't, Dan, that, I feel like that's a you question. I, I don't know. Help the man bring his words to life. Just remember at some point in the year 2300 that Gunnosaurus Rex will finally be fossilized and we can use him to put together the last bit of oil reserves we need for our Mad Max style Premier League edition. <laughs> all right. <laughs> the earth is salted over. Didn't, didn't wow. see that coming. <laughs> At all. I'll wow. take a shot at it. You know, Chad is pretty easy. You know, wins wouldn't taste as good if you didn't have such a terrible taste from losses like this, right? Yeah, I'm waiting for that. Let's go ahead and uh, tee up that fourth course and uh, serve it fresh. Uh, Bernard on Patreon saying, This core group of players, Hazard, William, Louise, are multiple-time league winners. What is the benefit of calling them weak mentally and not up for a fight, especially when you yourself haven't won anything and some of the players are not sure they want to stay. The outcome is likely to be that they either want to leave or stay, but without you in charge, do you understand Sari's approach? I mean, Nick, these are very pointed questions from Bernard here. I mean... Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, we, talked, we, we talked a little bit about this in part one. Uh, I think it's... You know, when when Sorry was hired, we talked to Joe Tweeds about, you know, the the implication that we hired a manager who hadn't won a, a domestic trophy in his in his time uh, at Napoli or Empoli or any of the other places that he got his management uh, experience from. So I, I think there is, you know, I, I understand that. But I also think that this core group of players has been like Brandon referenced in part one, very inconsistent, you know, won the league. Everything's rosy 14, 15 is a disaster with the same exact players. Uh, win the league 16, uh, last year felt like a disaster, even though we, you know, we're, we're much, uh, closer to fourth place than in 2015. So I, I think since, you know, this core group of players that throw his pillow in there and uh, a few others have been at the club, uh, it's just been very up and down, and it feels like at times. I think, you know, part of the reason that we get so frustrated as fans is it, it does it, it. It's one thing if City goes and wins the league because they're the best team in the league. I think everyone can go and and you know be okay with that. You know, if if they're just clearly the best team. I think it feels like at times Chelsea beats themselves up um, before we even get to to play some of these big matches because of. Things like player recruitment or a mentality shift or a lack of leadership or a lack of international captainship or, you know, no youth involvement or whatever, you know, problem you see with the club. I think there's a sense that we beat ourselves up before we even have the chance for the big moment. And, um, you know, I think the consistent over the last six, seven years has been the players and not the managers. We've been through four managers, if you include uh, Goose Hiddink. So... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would kind of throw that question back to the group, but it seems to me that it was maybe a poor tactic for Sari to use, but he's clearly, you know, frustrated and, uh, and I don't really know what else to say about that. Dan. So I, I guess the one thing I would say is that no player has been individually called out by Mauricio Sari. And, you know, and he's called out players for needing to do more or and has always been I think, gracious in the way that he refers to them. I think this was an example of being frustrated with the entirety of the team. So there's nowhere for an individual to hide in this. But there's also no individual being called out and singled out as the problem. 
And so, you know, I think there there are times, you know, when in life where, you know, a group needs to be called out and it says, hey, no, and ultimately, like, you guys didn't do a good job or didn't do a good enough of a job and we need to be better. And if he's had to say that behind closed doors and that hasn't worked, maybe it's now an opportunity to try it and see if that helps to motivate, find a spark, light a, light a little bit of a fire underneath some of those players who have shown, like David Luiz, like Cesar Esplacleta, like everyone's favorite player to hate, Marcus Alonso, Antonio Rudiger, players that have shown an ability to get passionate about what's going on in the pitch and see if he can't spur the other members of the team into caring a little bit more, into really just you know putting them in a position to impact larger change on the team. It may not work. It may be... The you know we got a match coming up this midweek, and if we lose to Tottenham and go out of the League Cup, I think it personally is very close to the starting point of end times for Mauricio Sarri. But uh, Mike, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it was the right thing to do. I am not, and I'm glad that he said it. I think he still needs to take his ownership of what he needs to do and figure out how to motivate. But ultimately, not a bad tactic occasionally. Yeah, you know, I, I, to be honest, and and not to be hard on Bernard, I'm, I'm pretty tired of hearing the whole Sarri's won nothing, you know, all this other crap. There are plenty of managers in the league who haven't won it, and their players listen to them regardless of, of, of winning or not. And, and you're right. I mean, when it comes down to it, you can be tactically, you, you can have bad tactics, right? But, but again, I mean, in the game, in this game, tactics survive, you know first encounter and sometimes you have to change on the fly. So, you know, mentality and effort are the things that change matches. It's what Chelsea has been known for. We when we won the you know, when we won the Champions League in 2012, it wasn't because we were better teams or we had better tactics. It was heart. That was the intangible aspect. And I think when you have players who like there's no excuse. It wouldn't have mattered what our tactics were. When you walk out of the gate and you're a professional player and you can't um, have your adrenaline ready to go when the ball's kicked off, like that's on you. And, and, and you know, they didn't listen to Jose and his Premier League championships and they didn't listen to, to Conte. So I think it's, you know, I, I agree. You know, I think Sari is on the back foot and he's at a point where he's trying to right the ship and you know if these players don't want to play for him or the club i i put it on them my thing is i'm torn because look Maurizio, he came in so late and he probably i don't know so he's tactically inflexible i think that's fair but at the same time like if we would have had a full preseason we would have had time to get a couple different players in and out. I mean, business was left so late in the window. Uh, I think if Chelsea sign, obviously it looks like Iguain is coming. Uh, if he already hasn't been announced by the time you're listening to this, uh, he was not in the Milan squad today. Um, if they get another you know, player that kind of backs up what he wants, I think then you have a chance to, to, to see that the club are backing him and that they realize that they – kind of started him with one hand behind his back, you know, at the beginning of the season. I still think there's a lot that goes into into that because, like, there, I know we have good players, but it's pretty comfortable for those players. I mean, Christensen isn't, you know, pushing David Luiz out of the squad. 
Jorginho has no backup. Um, you know, Barkley and Kovacic, they're kind of just putting in, you know, fives and sixes every week. We're not really getting them to be pushed. Pedro and William aren't pushing each other. It's just, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's not a lot of competition in the squad. We have a very thin squad. And Maurizio's written off the likes of, you know, Moses and Drinkwater and, you know, all these players. And so, like, the the guys don't have any motivation or that competitive, uh, you know, fight in practice and in training to get better. And I think that's a huge part of it. Uh, it's yeah. just, it's too easy for those players to either try or not try, and they won't be affected regardless. Well, well, Brandon, you're telling me that when there's no competition for your place, that players might actually coast? When you're talking about the motivation side Whoa. of it, right? Whoa. Like, well, that's I, what I, I'm, saying. I'm just so confused right now. No, I, I am know. so confused. But, like, I, I think if, if we just want to talk about Mauricio's thing, that it's hard to motivate these players, I can see why. Yeah. Well, I mean, who's well, he, like he can that. only drop maybe two people at a time. And those aren't even the people you need to drop, like Kovacic and Barkley, and and you know the guys that you know whoever it was, like they were almost like good team players. They're like, okay, fine, I'll battle back for it. But like our front three, our strikers, you know, our back line that are you know are having issues, they're they're not being pushed. Well, so here's the other thing too, and and we retweeted it out. I know you were a big fan of this thread uh, from Swiss Ramble, who does a really good deep dive once the books come out at the end of a club's fiscal year. And Chelsea, for the past couple seasons, has done exceptionally well in spite of, you know, having to pay off, you know, issues or pay off a manager, pay off, you know, the Adidas deal, which said that we could go into Nike. But we make a lot of money from player sales. And we've made a lot of money from player sales, but we continue to not, reinvest in the same caliber of player that we sell or go out and get better players. So instead of buying one hundred million pound player, we go and try and buy th- you know, three 30 million pound players and hope that we hit on one and that we can sell two for a profit. And you're seeing what has happened with Manchester City, where they've invested about a similar amount, maybe just a little bit more in players over the past two windows Yet our squad is significantly less capable of going out and destroying a game like the way they have, which is a scouting issue, which is a personnel issue, and is a you know just operational issue that we've run into where the cohesive strategy is not good enough at this point in time to set up the manager for success or set up the squad for the level of competition. And so, I mean, again, everyone has blame here. Players have blame, the manager has blame, the board has blame. No one is blameless in this process at the moment, Nick. I mean, ultimately, it's just where do you want to look at where the problems are and you know tack onto the that one thing? Just kind of zoom out and say, you know what? There's problems at all capacity, and everyone has a part to play in fixing those things. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get a little nerdy here, but um, every year, so I, I, I'm working advertising, so every year we help our clients set goals. Um, and as a part of that goal setting process, there are kind of some levels, right? So there are like your overall company goals. There are objectives to help reach those goals. There are strategies to help reach those objectives. And there are tactics that support those strategies. It's kind of like if you built it in a house scenario, the goals are the roof and everything else is foundational. Um, there, like we've, we've called this out. Joe Tweeds has called it out. There does not seem to be a discernible overall 
like there is a discernible goal. So that is established. We don't have to worry about that, which is to be a, you know, a top club in the world to have, you know, trophies and all this stuff. There are goals up there. I think where we struggle is there, there does not seem to be a, a clear definition of the objectives that are going to help reach those goals and the strategies at like the uh, director of football level that will help support those objectives. Um, I think we are talking about tactics right now. Tactics being player sales, tactics being, you know, youth integration, tactics, you know, all these other things in a, in a marketing weirdo sense that I'm, I'm talking about right now are, are, are tactical things. But we, the, the club needs to, in whatever facet they determine, at least in our, in our humble opinions, uh, bring on people who can help explain maybe to the fans how we're going to go about this next phase of Chelsea Football Club. We are not spending $300 million in a window anymore. We are selling some of our best players. It's rumored that Hazard's already gone to Real Madrid. So if that's the case, well, like what are we going to do to replace him? There there aren't Hazards out there in, in the market. So there's just a lot that, that goes into this. But I think the, the, the biggest clear definition to me of, of what's going on is kind of at that higher level. Um, and, and from a, like a player personnel identification level too, like I think most Chelsea fans would like to see a Balak or a check or whoever would be a, a qualified director of football come in and help, um, communicate the vision to, you know, the, the players and, you know, I think to the fans. So that would be where I would start. I will say, Nick, that you will get people who go after you, and and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to proactively defend you because I care. Um, okay. For saying that a Balak or a, a Czech or someone who has previous playing experience going into director of football role or a technical advisor position is a bad idea, you know, that's what Bricio Dorman has done. That is what Barcelona has done previously. There are massive clubs. Bayern Munich is famous for having done it multiple times. Massive clubs across the world use a similar model of taking former players with just good acumen and allowing them to grow kind of within the capacity and the position of the world. They're not, again, just like there's not hazards everywhere. There's not great football director, sporting director individuals just lining up for positions are available because their services are usually in high demand and people pay a lot of money for them. And so when you talk about building an identity of the club and building a structure of how we want to play, if, if, if we want to play for four, three, three possession based attacking football, and that is going to be the identity of Chelsea football club for the next 10 to 15 years. It's very easy. I think to take someone who is connected to the DNA of what it means to be Chelsea, who is a member of that, Champions League winning side, put them into that position and allow them to grow within it with a small remit and staff intelligent, you know, scouts and technical guys around them to give them the infrastructure to be successful. And like, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to say, try to follow on these models that Dortmund has done, Munich has done and Barcelona has done. If you, if you think those teams have not been successful in that model, I would point you to how successful they have been either on the market or in their ability to win titles and trophies. And, and I, I, I do want to make it clear that I don't know anything about how the club is structured that the, those details never really come out. All we see is Marina uh, occasionally signing a player 
um, and, and posing for a photo. Um, so, you know, in, in that respect, we're kind of talking out of our ass a little bit, um, which is, you know, kind of why you do a podcast. But uh, I, I will say if, if the core profits have been made, Brandon, on player sales, it would suggest to me that she is an excellent negotiator. <laughs> like, I think that's kind of what's been floated around a lot of the Twitterverse is she is one of the best negotiators out there. Even if the deal doesn't go our way, she's typically not going to let Chelsea get bamboozled into a deal um, that, that doesn't benefit us. And I think some of the player sales are, are ridiculous. Like, if we're able to get $48 million eventually for Alvaro Morata, as rumored in the papers, after we spent 57 on him and and his his current state of play is pretty poor shit man i i consider that a win um you know we we've, we've seen pappy jilboji come in for a, a million pounds and leave for five after playing 30 minutes you know it's like th- there are there are certain things that like i think we have you know at least it appears that we have staff in place that are are really good at the business side but we certainly as as a podcast, I think as uh, you know, as as fans of the club in general, want to see a you know a, a, a strong football minded, uh, experienced footballer in, in a position to to make impact in terms of uh, the scouting and player development side. Look, you don't want your major revenue source to be from selling your best assets. Like that's nope. why Liverpool United. Uh, do a really good job of of bringing revenue in, um, you know, externally, and that's why, you know, United has, you know, crazy amounts of commercial deals, right? Like so many things we don't even know of, and probably Chelsea, you know, are, are getting there. But you know, fair play to, like you said, when we don't want a player, we seem to get pretty good money for them, uh, which is a val- is, is is valuable to the club. Um, yeah, I. But we're not. We're we're only seeing it going out. She does a great job, or we do a great job negotiating player sales, not purchases. We're we not don't know buying. No, that's no, not true. We don't. No, I'm, no, I'm just saying we oh, don't I'm, know. I'm sorry. It. How how much for Danny Drinkwater? And I mean, we have not bought well you're, in the you're last. You're cherry picking. You're cherry picking an example there, Mike. Ooh, I think we have clarify, bought well. That there's a Zappacosta, There's a difference between Bacchioco. scouting and negotiating, like. Whoever identified those players, that's a different discussion. But maybe we actually did get a good deal based on whatever the negotiation was. Like Angolo Conte for thirty-two million pounds is the most shrewd football decision maybe ever. Edna Hazard, Hazard for thirty-two. Thirty-two <laughs> rumored, right? Like the, you're you can't you can't yeah, just cherry pick the negative. You can't. Man. No, no, no. You can, you can't pick two players. Okay, and let's let's throw in Dave and say for seven million, that's even better. Those were, you know, with the exception of of Conte, everyone else was a relatively unknown, you know, potential players that are going to do well and have grown into it. We're not doing a great if if our main business is selling players, we're not doing a good job of, you know, filling the coffers back up to sell players back we have not diego diego sesk like there there are plenty of examples where we have look we i don't think we're well deep, we did not sell think, well with diego because conte kicked him out of the club i mean we got i think we think we did sell well with diego if i'm yeah. not mistaken i think it shouldn't have been sold that's for one but i mean we yeah. had a player who was out the door <laughs> yeah. it's hard to negotiate on on that right but but that's kind of my point right like we I think there are plenty of examples going both ways on like, oh man, drink water. For every drink water, I think there is 
another player that has fulfilled that role. I think maybe where we're we're kind of splitting hairs is that we're not a deep squad like overall. We're we're really not, and we filled some really important positions like striker with you know admittedly two players that uh, have struggled to score goals for Chelsea over the last two years, and that's Giroud and Morata. So. I think there are certain areas or a left back for a lot of people or, you know, a right winger for a lot of people that we haven't bought well, but that, that would then be ignoring the rest of the squad. And I know that we've rambled on this for a long time, but like, I think there, there is stuff to work with in this squad, but certainly if you think back to the days of 07, 08, when we were spending money on players, um, some of which no one had heard of, uh, your Essians and your Drogba's and, you know, all that, and then some players that were world beaters, a la your Shevchenko's or your Crespo's or whoever, we had an incredibly deep, talented squad that pushed each other for maximum uh, gain. And the maximum gain was the most impressive 10-year run in Chelsea's history, and I think one of the most impressive runs in the in the Premier League and Champions League and uh, FA Cup ever. Um, this team needs to get back, develop depth, have a youth system plan, have a, an, an overall strategy to help fulfill the goals that they have. And that's that's kind of all I'm saying on that front. Well, no, I mean, if, if we're going to split hairs, the truth is, is that what brought all that success was money. And it's what Man City has been doing and Manchester have been doing is just dumping copious amounts of money into it. And, and that's why they have the squad that they have is because they had the money just much like we did in the two, you know early 2000s of we bought everybody that we could. So it's not about develop. I mean, developing uh, youth is great, but City's not just pushing through young players to create the team they have. They're doing it with a checkbook. And if we're not going to, you know, flex the financial muscle, we're not like we can't say look at what we used to have without recognizing that that all came at a cost. And that was because we were willing to buy the best players and pay the most money. Like even, even if we have a close spend to what um, city's doing player wise, they're still paying a lot more wages than we are as well. So that's, you know, not taken into just the pure cost of players. I mean, we, we do have, I think one of the top, two or three wage bills in the league though. And if you're telling me <clears throat> that, you know, they're, I mean, they might be paying a little bit more wages, but ultimately if we're paying, you know, top one, two or three wages in the league and we're getting a, you know, fifth place performance at the end of the season, it's not good enough. No, like, and, you all. know, cycling through players like Cesc who is on very high wage and getting him to Monaco is, is fantastic business, right? Where we have, we sold a player with really less than six months left on his contract who could have gone on a free in the summer, built in some level of performance-based uh, payment structure back to the club. So I, I think to wrap on it, you know, again, we don't get the fullest picture, right? And we're trying to piece together things based upon countless reports from multiple writers and some of who are trustworthy, some who aren't, and trying to understand the inner workings of a super complex business as best we can. And, you know, we just hope that as the club looks to address the needs on the pitch, that they're also looking to do it in the back room and also in the boardroom when it comes to getting a technical director back, like an Amanalo, who as much as people were frustrated and upset with, at least helped to chart some of that direction and work with the manager and the board to try to find some unity. 
All right, question from Tom, Patreon, saying, I think I finally reached my breaking point today's game with Jorginho's play. I'm no soccer expert, but I feel he brought nothing to the game outside of an extra body in the midfield uh, to pass the ball. Is there any possible way, sorry, changes his system to Conte in the back or even just something different? And then Sari's post-match comments, yikes. I hope this sparks something positive and not a Mourinho-esque spiral from here on out. Uh, let's just touch on the Jorginho stuff because we talked about Sari earlier. Uh, you know, Nick, the way Jorginho is, dude's tired. Um, I think that's a a very fair and realistic reason why, um, you know, he's struggling a bit right now. And according to Sari, we have no backup, which is highly concerning. Um, because fatigue definitely will set in for him, and he's such an important player. Yeah, um, look, we, we've talked about Jorginho over the last few weeks. Uh, he's certainly not playing his best. Other teams are game-planning against him, uh, specifically because he is kind of the linchpin of how the team passed the ball and flows. And you know, if, if he is left with time and space, much like Cesc, um, you know, when, when he was at Chelsea, I think Jorginho can be incredibly useful and dangerous. If he is closed out, then the tactics seem to change. You need to bring N'Golo Conte further back and not leave Jorginho isolated because it hurts you on two fronts. One is we don't have the necessary zip and and movement uh, to impact the game from an offensive side. And two, it leaves him incredibly isolated in the middle of the pitch Um uh, protecting our back line and, and we're more susceptible to counterattacks. So I think, you know, if if the tactics of choice are, you know, that a team like Arsenal or Spurs is going to use the diamond midfield formation defense and try and close him out and limit the space he has to pass the ball, you need to bring Golo Conte back and play a 4-2-3-1 or some, some variation thereof uh, to ensure that you have cover, protection, and an outlet for him to uh, to be involved in the game. So that it seems way too easy when I say it like that, and I'm sure it's certainly not that easy, Mike, but that would be the way I'd approach it. Yeah, you, you're, I think you're right. The thing is, is that, you know, I, I don't know about, you know, tiredness. I mean, we know he hasn't had much rest. I think that Arsenal did a very good job of game planning against him. You know, shout out to Newman for his um, analysis on that. Um, I, you know, I, I think the thing that I struggle with, what everybody is saying is the easy thing of like, hey, just shift tactics, right? And I feel like we're in this weird rock in a hard place in which we've put so much energy into trying to make this 4-3-3 work that like to give up on it now, you know what I mean? It's like, look how bad we are trying to do one thing that we've been practicing on for this, for this long. So to kind of throw that out the door and try something else, I mean... I think it would definitely help. It's it's what I would I, I would like to see us do, um, but I, I thought Conte struggled in this match as well. I mean, he's not as, as much as I like him as a player. I don't think his strengths are ball distribution, and you know he turned it over a lot. His his I feel like his inclination is to look to the right to maybe pass either back to Dave or to you know to Dave making a run. So. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like we're in this weird spot of unless we bring in some real depth, um, it's going to be hard to change our tactics. Dan? Uh, agreed. We need uh, different players to put together different tactics um, or at least make a massive shift um, unless we want to go to, again, the, the counterattacking style play. Um, 
it's it's an odd position to be in. You know, you want to be able to give someone like Jorginho a little bit of rest, and obviously it seems like the Paredes deal from Zenit is looking 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 less and less likely given the fact that the asking price keeps on going up. And yeah, as much as we were complimenting our board and Marina earlier uh, for not wanting to get, you know, get the deal right. I don't think they're going to want to get fleeced on a player coming out of Russia for, you know, close to 45 you know, million pounds or euros, depending upon what report you're looking at. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I think Jorginho needs some rest. I think I, I still am interested in the idea of Ampadu deputizing for him i know that sorry has said it's possible but he needs to work with it and ampadu has said that he's been getting the opportunity to train in that position given the you know the lack of reinforcements at the moment and uh you know he's he's played some pretty dime passes for wales on the international stage so i think uh you know i've seen a couple people be critical of the idea but you, know, you also have to take advantage of the fact that you have an extremely talented young athlete on your team who given some investment probably could save you you know 40 million pounds on a backup that you could then reinvest into a mario Riccardi or you know other top level striking talent when we head to the summer yeah it's fair play all right uh another one from aaron i said i mean it's all a joke to sorry at this point right playing out of foreign players in william and alonzo when cho and emerson are on the bench and they're the potential game changers there's no point when they come on in the 80th minute, we need a striker ASAP. And do you think we should have sold William to Barca and received Malcolm? Super loaded, obviously. <sighs> wow. Um, I don't think it's as simple. There's, well, well, Brandon, Brandon, just just to be fair, you weren't here last week when Nick and I solved all the problems for Chelsea yeah, we, Football Club. We did a great job. I think we don't need to, you know, need to pat ourselves on the back too much, but. You know, but we you, should, we should for a moment, you know, was just an it, audible pat. What was it the was it the best episode we've ever done? Probably, I would say um, the best but, episode featuring just the Dan and Nick. But probably. Uh, but we should say there's no possibility in any capacity that Barcelona are going to offer to offload Malcolm and then pay us money for William. Like that, that that's just is zero percent is a narrative structure. You know, just to get clicks and likes and links to that article. If anything, we would be paying them money to give and giving them William to get a player from them. And even then, Malcolm is probably not the one player that you want to get off Barcelona at the moment. In the moment, you want like a Dembele um, if you're really going to go offer a player in cash. So I just don't know. You know, again, it's a narrative that comes up. It causes frustration in our fan group, in our supporters groups, because you you see a price tag, you see an article, we have, you take it without a grain of salt, and it becomes the truth. When in all likelihood, no, no team is going to offer that much money for a player who is aging into a point where he, he doesn't he isn't going to be able to use his best gifts at the moment, which is his speed, um, for much much longer. Yeah, and I would quickly say on the on the William and Alonso piece, we, we realize that these are the two most polarizing players at Chelsea right now, uh, and Jorginho thrown in there too for good measure. Um, what I said last week, I think, remains true, and it will remain true until the end of time. So you can believe this, or you or you can choose not to. But either one of two scenarios is happening: either Sari uh, sees training every week. And picks the best team that he can pick based on what he sees in training and the tactics that he wants to employ. 
or he hates Emerson and um, any other winger besides William, including Calamuson, Adoy, Pedro, whatever. I know which one I would choose to believe out of those two options, but you know, if you believe the other one, I don't. I, and I'm not speaking to Aaron directly on this, but like the narrative structure around William, Alonzo, Jorginho is like, oh, they're terrible, they're terrible, they're terrible. We see how terrible they are every week. How can he still pick them? We don't see training every week. <laughs> like we we have to be. I think we have to take a step back from this negative cycle that we're in uh, as uh, you know, as uh, Chelsea Twitter is in, not, not us as a podcast, but, and just say like, man, maybe he's just picking the best team that he sees week in week out. And, you know, if that's not good enough because the results prove it out, then he won't, you know, sorry, won't last for a long time, but you know, I don't know what else he can do. Like, yeah, I think the one thing when it comes to Alonzo, um, I haven't really seen many people talking about this, but I put both goals firmly on David Luiz. He was completely out of position. If you go back to that first goal, he's he's like playing up on the right side. He's a left center back. And if he had been in his position on that side, it would have helped. Um, it, it would have had support. And I don't think Lacazette would have been able to turn as much because Alonzo would – I mean, Alonzo was standing – closer to where Luis should have been. And on that second goal, Luis is to the right of Rudiger. Um, so I don't I don't think Luis is getting enough uh, um, crap for really poor, um, you know, a, a poor performance in my, in my opinion. I mean, he made some great passes, but um, positionally he was definitely caught out a couple times. And, and I think that when people are looking back into it um, – a lot of that factors into how Alonzo should play. And if he has that support, he can push out a little further. Um, so that, that's kind of my take there. David Luiz also had the best pass of the game, created our best chance. Yeah, so well, like, guess what? He's a double-edged sword, and I hear So, like, that's always a problem for us is, like, well, right now he's creating the best opportunities for us, but then he's going in and, you know, you know, giving something up on the defensive end, unfortunately. Then, then do we play him at, you know, you know, I, I think when we're talking about those situations, we either, you know, if we stick with the formation we have, then put in Christensen and let Louise run Jorginho to give him a spell of rest or, you know, play four in the midfield. And instead of putting Conte next to Jorginho, put in Ampadu, let Ampadu and Jorginho, you know, run the pivot in the middle and keep Conte on the wing. I don't know. It just, I think yep. you can still make beautiful passes but also realize you're a left center back and stay on the left side of the field. Well, Justin, uh, our rounding at our Patreon, says, okay, so sorry sounds like he wants to blame the players based on that post-match presser, which was a disaster, by the way. Yikes. I have more issues with the team selection and tactics from sorry. I've seen enough of Angolo, who is a world-class holding midfielder, playing so far out of position that he looks average at best. I think with his improvements this season going forward, he could sit back and dink meaningless five-yard passes just as effectively as Jorginho can. However, if he makes a terrible pass, he can actually make a tackle and get it back. Azard needs to get back on the left and get back on the ball. He has been a ghost the past couple of matches. Anyways, sorry for the hot take, which I even slept on, and I'm still pissed. Well, Justin, he's not a holding mid. He's a runner. Like, he runs, like, that's what we call him, that he has a twin. 
Like he's not best deployed is sitting and waiting for the play to come to him. Um, he's best in a two man midfield. Um, so he just has really, 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 really good defensive qualities in a two man midfield. I think that that's different. I think if you told Angola Conte to sit there and wait, he's that kid who just is going to run after the ball. Cause he, that's just naturally what he's going to do instinctually. Um, I am personally more split on, I think sorry needed to yell at the players. I'm okay with that. But then I also have to turn around and say, I'm not okay with your inflexibility tactically. To just do the same thing over and over and over without any signs of progress uh, or any signs of, you know, promise coming out of it. Like that's where I'm stuck right now, guys. And I know that Topher sent me a Facebook message through it and he goes, you know, who takes the blame for the loss, the coach or the players, everyone? Um, I, I'm stuck on that. I thought the players really let, you know, um, let themselves down, but also like, what were they trying to do when they got the ball? Like, what were their instructions? Why wasn't there urgency in the second half? We just continued to take our time strolling. And like, I, I'm genuinely, uh, stuck on, you know, who you want to blame quote unquote. I, I mean, I, I think it starts with, sorry, um, it starts with the approach to the game. It starts with the um, with the tactics and and what he knows of Arsenal, what he's scouted of Arsenal, and what he knows of you know Chelsea, and and failing to come up with a game plan that would allow uh, Chelsea to have the best chance to win. Selecting the team is his job too. So you know, realizing that you know maybe playing a, a, a out and out striker like Giroud would would benefit the team. Uh, against a, uh, a you know a leaky defense in Arsenal is is you know up to him. But once he once he does all of his training midweek and preps the team and they all go out on the field, Mike, it's up to the players to do it, and they didn't do it. So there is split blame, but I think it starts with sorry. Interesting. I I think I'm I'm actually more on um, where Brandon's coming from. I I put it a hundred percent on the players. Um, your professionals. Whoa, whoa! I said I was split. I would like I'm, to clarify. Well, no, let, let me say this: <laughs> I put I put the performance on the players. What they do on the field is on them, a hundred percent. You 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 know what I mean? It's great to have a motivational. It's great to have leaders. It's great to have a, an inspiring coach. But regardless or not, it's a big game. Play like it's a big game. Um, I do agree that the inflexibility is ridiculous. You know, if you're only going to give Giroud 20 minutes, then start him out and tell him, you know what, you've got 20 or 30 minutes, and if it doesn't work, we'll give you the hook, and then we'll go to the the to the um, the false nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a different way to look at it. I mean, because that will inspire confidence in what's, your what's starting. The, what's match. The, no, no, no. What's the difference between playing like crap and and waiting way too long to make a call than saying, you know what, we're going to come out with a different look, and if it doesn't work, we'll pivot to to the backup plan. But at least you have a backup plan as opposed to starting with your backup plan that does not work and say, oh, by the way, at the end of the game, if we can't haven't figured anything out, then let's just throw out the next part of, of something. I mean, I, I think point, point being on this, I think if Giroud is Mike, if he's, if he's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes fit, he's probably fit. Um, so if, you know, regard if he pulls him after 60, like he does with Kovacic, every single appearance out, you know, I, I like, I don't really care. I just, agree. I, I am, I'm just, I'm, I'm of the point that like this false nine against big teams, 
outside of City, which was kind of fluky because we played a lot less ball dominant. We were a lot more counterattacking. I think the team saved their energy a lot, mm-hmm. whereas this sorry ball system requires a lot of energy, a lot of running, a lot of pressing. Um, if we were to play counterattack yesterday, I would have been fine with the false nine, but they, he, he played the same exact way. And, you know, to, to do that, I think you need an out and out striker who's going to take pressure off of hazard. That's just how I feel about it. Yeah. And, and this, I think the stats that are really important from the game is that we had, we played the ball 23% through the middle. You had no target man. And, and on top of there not being anyone in the box to cross to when we attempted, we had really, really poor uh, cr- cross completion. So, like everything we did was pretending as if there was an invisible person there waiting for the ball when, when he wasn't there. You know, I mean, Hazard's playing as the center, and he's the one on the left wing crossing to no one. I just, you know, Brandon, I, I don't know how tactically. Uh, I don't know what players are doing at that point. Yep, we're gonna have to fix that. I've got a got a whole four days to turn this ship around. Um, <laughs> look, I I don't I, uh, the false nine not great, uh, lacking leaders. So here's an interesting thing that I I want to touch on. Look, Chuck has just announced his retirement. Chuck is the big pizza OG, right? Talk about the spine that we had him, JT Lampard, Drogba. Didn't matter who you put around him. Right, they knew how to win. They knew what they needed to do. Got it done. Uh, Chitty eight John Instagram saying sorry's press conference. He blamed the players and said tactics don't matter without determination. True or false? Connor Murphy forty four saying where are the leaders on this team? Hard to see any bravery, determination, and leadership since Terry left and Cahill has been left out. Uh, Workle said it's crazy to hear him say that this that the players are hard to motivate because at the end of the day that is what a coach is there to do especially from a coach frequently states that there's here to focus on the players that he currently has and not worry about the transfer market when you are the manager of a giant club like Chelsea you have to be able to inspire your players to perform at their best uh, Cameron Forstrom saying please 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 tell us what your take is on what's wrong with the mentality of the players uh, he echoes Sari's post-match comments 100%. What's it going to take to wake this team up in critical moments? So, guys, from a leadership standpoint, we I'd say David Luiz is a great is a good leader. Like I think he's I think he's a strong communicator. Uh, we yell at players when they make mistakes uh, or they don't play up to certain levels. Nick, you talked about in part one how Ed Nazard is probably a good captain for Belgium. And I'd say so because he probably, you know, keeps the peace, lets everyone, you know, be friends. But he's not a good leader, motivator for Chelsea. And I like yeah, my list yeah. has run dry. You know, like Rudiger. even Aspie. Rudiger's a good shout. I like Rudy. Um I maybe he's just not confident enough yet to to do it. He's growing into it this season. Aspie and Conte lead by example. Um I would love to see them be more vocal i think we all want to see who the next jt is going to be we've been waiting for that for a really long time but you know like i i I don't you know outside of that honestly like Jorginho, i I think andy saunders made a really good point in part one Jorginho is more of an orchestrator than he is a leader um he's you know he's he's middle he's middle management yeah middle management's a really good way to put that (laughs) William Pedro don't seem to have, you know, the leadership knack. Um, you know, Hazard, you can say, I, I don't I don't really know what kind of leader Hazard is or if he isn't. You know, he clearly is if he's a Belgian national team captain. But, 
you know, it's not it's not visible to me in the same way that JT is or JT was on the pitch. I, there's just there, there isn't that defining character. There isn't that roar. You know, like there, this team, I think, <clears throat> needs someone who is willing to take on that role and challenge and push and motivate. <clears throat> pardon me. Um, the rest of the team, and I, I really don't see it beyond the the players that we mentioned. Yeah, it, it's tough. There was a moment, I think, at about thirty minutes in, in which Jorginho put a tackle, and I think it was on Shaka, and they got up, and Shaka got all in his face, and and a couple other Arsenal players stepped in and surrounded him, and no one in a blue a blue kit stepped in and and shoved them away, and I I just. You know, generals don't win wars. It's the soldiers and it's the guy in the trenches next to you. And we didn't see people fighting for each other. And until these players, like, you know, maybe, you know, whatever is going on tactically, great. But, like, I would really like to see the effort of them playing hard for each other and standing up for each other, especially, you know, in the systemic fouling and some of these other player places. And I think that, to me, is the most disappointing part, Dan, is that, there's just not even, you know, you can get beat, you can get an honest F, but like the lack of of heart that we saw, I think is, I mean, how, how do you fix that as a coach? That is a question that I wish I was potentially getting paid millions of pounds a year to try and figure out because, uh, again, like that goes back to, you know, how does sorry find a way to motivate? You know, we talked a little bit in part one about the fact that there's, competition is kind of non-existent at this point in a couple of key areas that you look at results that are middling or performance performances that are at a five or a six versus a seven or an eight. And you'd like to see rotation or you'd like to see competition there, but they're either haven't been dropped due to the, the depth behind them, not matching, you know, not even being able to offer that uh, or the competition you know, not really truly being, you know, kind of put on there by the the manager. So I think there's a lot that we can look at. I think that the best thing that Chelsea could do as a club is to bring in additional top level competition. The best thing the manager can do is to work with his team to get them to give as much of a damn as possible. And the best thing that the players could do is if they're, you know, just happy to be here and collect a paycheck that they can you know, look to try to find to do that somewhere else or the club can look to move them on so that they don't pollute the the atmosphere you know, ultimately it comes down to culture and the leadership culture that, you know, sorry wants to kind of put into place. And if the club will allow him to do that or not, uh, I think remains to be seen. So there's a lot of question marks kind of as we exit this kind of question or line of questioning. I think, I think we need leaders. I think we need a strong core. I think we need people, you know, but I, I mean, do you just buy them? I mean, Balak was a great buy. He's a national team captain and he brought that leadership with them. Um, you know, but if Chelsea's model now is going to go after the young up and coming players as you maybe, or maybe haven't seen in the, and you know, with Pulisic obviously is kind of an indicator of that, um, you know, a huge commitment to Callum Hudson, Adoy, whether or not he stays, he, there's always has to be a balance and, um, it's, it's not a great balance right now. And I'll be interested to see, I hope that Maurizio gets a really good response from the players. I hope, you know, he also looks internally looks at his plan and say, hey, you know, we need to get better. Uh, we need to do some things, uh, and, and, and we can go from there. I think that the 4-3-3 system is a really flexible system. It does. We don't have to go to 4-2-3-1. We don't need to go to 
Diamond 4 to, you know, whatever it is and things like that. I think that um, you can do a lot with the 433, which is why so many managers like it. And so I just, uh, you know, I hope that, you know, they, they take this next match against Tottenham really seriously because, um, you know, the fans, if we lose to Spurs again in a terrible, terrible way, uh, you know, they don't have Harry Kane. Um, I think they don't have Sissoko. They're drawing to Fulham right now, so hopefully Fulham can get back in it um, and uh, pull out that victory. But just just overall, like it's gonna the climate in Sanford Bridge will get bad if we rattle off another bad defeat to a, a London rival. So uh, Nick, just wrap it up with at Husker Blue One saying, "How do you handle the insane levels of negativity and infighting amongst Chelsea supporters on social media?" Oh, Log that's a really good out. question. Yeah, that's a um, <clears throat> it's a good question. Look, I I think there is a serious difference between people on social who <clears throat> are there to have a productive discussion, even if they disagree with your opinion, and people who are there just to troll um, and identifying. Pardon me. Good Lord. Um, Identifying which of those types of conversations you're about to get into is, is the first key. Um, I do not. And I've blocked a ton of trolls on Twitter. I I try not to engage um, on on that front. And even when we have, you know, disagreements with, you know, even some of our fans will call me out or disagree with me and that's totally fine. It's just about being respectful. Like, Having a, a, a handle on Twitter doesn't give you license to be an asshole. Um, and and it's just, you know, especially amongst our our blue family, like you, you sometimes you have a, a crazy uncle um, who, who says some weird stuff, right? Like, um, but it, it's, yeah, I think it's just keeping it uh, under the under the umbrella that we're all Chelsea fans. We all want the best for the team. Or at least you know ninety nine percent of us do. Um, if you listen to the first part, so identify who's a troll, who's not. Uh, I I did a purge of my follower list uh, about three and a half weeks ago. That really helped clear up my feed of some nonsense um, stuff that I was seeing. It's not just about the people you follow, guys. It's about all of the shit that they retweet and that they bring into your. And so I think a lot of the negativity, especially after a game yesterday, you know, some, a lot of it's warranted. It was a bad performance, but um, a lot of the trolling and stuff gets heightened in those moments. People retweet it. People uh, take things out of context. And so it's it's really identifying who you want to follow and why and, and having productive conversations that stay above board uh, in that respect. You know, I'm, I'm doing my best. The 2019 resolution for me not to uh, swear as much on Twitter, which I know will surprise everyone, <laughs> but um, I, I'm I'm really trying because like I I, w- I went back and looked at my own feed out of you know in, within context of like what the f- what was I trying to say like what was I even like what was I yammering on about and like those tweets don't hold up very well um, so it's a it's a resolution I'm going to try and make for myself. I think another thing that is helpful is allowing yourself to have the right level of perspectives. So often you kind of curate this level of insight that is related to the interests you care most about, which tend to be Chelsea or football, or if it's about like particular specific types of video games or movies or whatever kind of elements of culture you enjoy. And you tend to weed out 
opinion or discourse that maybe is opposite of the view or maybe you know you don't follow someone that reports on arsenal or you don't follow someone that reports on united so you only have this one insular view of how things are going on with chelsea and you don't understand that other clubs are experiencing similar issues with transfers or having problems in a different capacity and so you remain so uninformed actually of the larger picture that when you then go to look at your feed, it's so easy to get frustrated and upset because you don't have any context relative to what's going on in the larger picture. And so I I think part of a good thing to do, in addition to maybe what Nick's suggestion is, which is to swear less on Twitter and have a positive and polite discord with someone, is to actually look for ways to inform yourself about what's going on on the larger scale and not go so uh, micro, try to be a little bit more macro with what you follow and what you take in versus being overly curated. You know, and I think just to, the last thing to say, Dan, and I think I thought you almost said it, was is the context of it, right? I think us all discussing the match today as opposed to five minutes after the, the match ended, I think you can get rid of some of the uh, the emotion and be able to have a much more reasonable conversation um, you know, because what what good is it in in the fury of the moment to try and have you know decent um, civil conversation if you know it, maybe it's just best to let it lie for a little and and get back to it. You know, there's no you know the conversation will be there. It's not like we don't have a couple of days to talk about this loss. So being first to the scene, you know, isn't necessarily a good thing. All right. Um, well, let's go ahead and wrap this up real quick. Obviously, the next match for us is going to be Spurs uh, at a home in the League Cup. It's the second leg of the semifinal. We're down one nothing. Uh, it's at the bridge this coming Thursday. You know, look, Spurs have got a couple of injuries that will help us out. Obviously, you know, Kane um, is, is the big one, I think. Uh, Son being gone at the Asian Cup is a big one. It's the League Cup semifinal, but it's kind of must win. Like, with the way everything is going, if you lose one more, Dan, I just think it's, like, the last step before you slip down the side of the cliff. It's a narrative-shifting game. You know, it's how does Mauricio Sarri, how does Chelsea want their season to go? And if you start to lose your grip on top four, if you start to get knocked out of cup competitions, it's one thing to make it to the final and play Manchester City. It's another thing to get knocked out by Spurs beforehand. Uh, you know, obviously we've got a game against Sheffield Wednesday coming up in the FA Cup final in the, the coming weeks, uh, or uh, to get to you know continue on our path towards the FA Cup final. So it, it's it really is going to change the mood if we lose, and it's not going to be good for the club for the players. We're sorry. It's not going to be good amongst the fan support. That would be very much a don't even look at Twitter. Just turn off your phone and chuck it out the side window moment. <laughs> um, like, you know, scorch earth mentality is in effect if we lose. So uh, I think those things are just, you know, it, it it really is, I think, imperative that we win this match. Much like what I thought it was imperative that we win the Arsenal match because there's so much that would have come positively from doing that, Nick that if they are not drilling this into the heads of all the players, say, like, look, this is a must-win game, um, not in just the matter of this one match or this one competition, but in how we actually define who we are as a club and what we want to accomplish this season. Right. I, I think what I want to see out of this game, like, I, you know, the results will be the result. Um, however, I want to see trademark Chelsea fight. I want to see 
the look on players' faces that they know what a big deal this is. I know it's the League Cup. I know it's not the Champions League final. But, you know, I thought we actually played pretty well against Spurs in the first leg, just didn't have the end product. And my hope is that the team that is out on the field on um, on Thursday goes out with the mentality that they are there to bury this team. They're, they're, they're there to put Spurs out of their misery. Um, and if they do that and, and you know, we lose, but, you know, it's a competitive game, I think Sarri will be okay. If we come out like we did against Arsenal, I think he's in real trouble. Um, and I know it's weird because the honeymoon ended so abruptly with him um, that, you know, it's it would be weird to, to think about the, the ramifications. But I think, you know, every manager at Chelsea has the same – uh, edict and that is to win trophies and this is a winnable trophy even though City's still in it uh, and Chelsea have to go out and, and and vanquish a foe that they've vanquished many many times and if they they come out with the right attitude I think we'll do it uh, so that's what I want to see all right send us your predictions if you want uh, I'm sure we'll get ours out closer to the match but look it's uh it's a tough week. Um, huge opportunity to bounce back. We'll see what we can do. Uh, covered a lot of stuff, though. Hopefully, you guys, you know, look, it's... it's. Um, can I include a, a special shout-out really quick? I mean, you most definitely can. I wasn't wrapped up, but might as well. A uh, special shout-out to uh, at Chelsea Rory, Rory Jennings, who's uh, on the Chelsea Fan TV channel. He just had a, uh, a kid today, so just a, a massive congrats to him and his wife on uh, the birth of their new baby. That's pretty great. That is fantastic. All the best. Another blue. All the best to you and your family, Rory. Um, but yeah, anyways, as we head into this week, I was just kind of wrapping up saying it's easy to, to, to play the blame game. All right. Look, we need to get uh, the best out of the squad. Uh, for those of you going to the match, you know, we'll be there in support, uh, you know, kind of digitally. Uh, really rally the troops, show them the support and love, and and make Stanford Bridge the the imposing atmosphere we know it can be on big nights, and it will be a big night. Uh, come together, unite, and just make Tottenham shit themselves as they walk out on that pitch. So, <laughs> anyways, that's gonna wrap us up. Thank you again. Two episodes this week, two bangers. We're back. Hope you enjoyed them. Tweet at us as always. Jump on our Patreon, support it. We appreciate everything you guys do. But until next time, that's a wrap. You know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.